is Dark Days Radio, Dark Hammer, episode two. And we are talking about faith in the Empire, covering the Imperial cults of the Cult of Sigmar and the Imperial cult of the God Emperor. And I'm one of your regular Dark Days Radio hosts, Chris. And as always for Dark Hammer, I am joined by David. How's it going? Good evening. It's going all right. Um... Yeah, you've been up to some gaming? Uh, yes, yeah. Um, we finished our um, Shadows of Kamora campaign just this week. All right, cool. Um, that may or may not get written up. I only joined the game halfway through, but and I didn't take any photos. So, um, but it yeah. was murder pixies all round. So cool. it was quite quite fun. Um, um, I haven't done any gaming since Dragon Meat. Because things have been busy. Um, Good times. But I've been painting something for something super secret, which I still can't yet announce. Um, yeah, that's cool. So once I've got them done, I think Christmas is going to be back to trying to actually get Blackstone Fortress painted because on my holiday, I did nothing on it. So <laughs> it's one of those things, you know, writing takes precedence. Uh, I'm working on a few other things. Anyway, um, with introduction and gaming out of the way, uh, let's talk about Warhammer news. So, uh, Cubicle 7 has got a few things coming out soon. Uh, We've got the Warhammer Fantasy RPG GM screen and Ubersreich Adventures uh, for pre-order. So, the Ubersreich Adventures collects in a physical copy all of the Ubersreich Adventures PDFs that they've released so far. Uh, and obviously the GM screen for Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay will be quite useful because you know it'll collect together things that you use quite frequently, like, I don't know, hit tables or the Winds of Magic um, critical yeah. table. When it'll uh, get... Miscast table. Yeah, stuff like that. Be useful to have. And I'm always a sucker for a good GM screen. Yeah. Uh, and then we've had some more updates. We've got some up. We had a nice short story from uh, from Cubicle Seven with regard to Wrath and Glory and the Cicatrix Maledictum or the Great Rift. And this concerns an Imperial astropath and what it's like to deal with the uh, with the Great Rift and how it influences their ability to talk across uh, the great distances of the Imperium. And then the other thing that we obviously saw a preview, we got a preview of at Dragon Meat, and now is official, and you can order, are the Warhammer Fantasy RPG dice trays by our friends that all rolled up. So, so they're kind of cool. They're very nice quality dice trays. Like we got a free one from them for Podcast Zone, so yeah. I assume the rest will be really good. Yeah. Um. So that's everything. Forty k. Uh. Sorry. Cubicle 7 wise, then over on new releases, games workshop wise, stuff that's obviously taken our interest. Uh, Warhammer community wise, we've seen the wonderful Archeothopter, which is this new flyer for um, uh, the Adeptus. So many ideas, so many ideas. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) What else have we had out? We've got the Tome of Champions has been released. Warcry, which basically adds. Uh, serious injury tables to Warcry for playing campaign, which I think is really going to be what people want, how they yeah. want to play Warcry to get that Mordheim feel. But it also adds in 
new campaign tables for the new factions that bring out cards for. You get all the cards printed at the back for all the previous factions that had cards. Uh, there's new scenarios. You can also now use, and I love this, it gives me an excuse to buy different miniatures finally. So you can <laughs> now have new wandering monsters in the form of trolls of yep. all flavors, squigs, yep. uh, and the undead, the restless dead. So you can have skeletons as uh, as roaming monsters. So rather than having to use the Furies or use the, uh, the, the Raptorix, or Chaos Warhounds or any of that, you can use models from other collections, which is really, really, really cool. Um, loads and loads of extra monsters in here. Just It expands the game so much. Yeah, it really adds flavour to it. And I think it means then you can actually represent different realms quite happily. Like, you could then do Warcry basically set in the realm of death, where... This is pretty much what we're doing next year in our little group. Yeah. So yeah. we'll see some of that appearing. So I think that's how I'm going to play Warcry a lot is do Shaiish um, a lot, or um, or even get some trolls. I think I, I like the troll miniatures. I like them a lot, and I think they'd be kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, so that's out. What else has been out as new releases uh, uh, and other things from Games Workshop? Obviously, we're learning more about Psychic Awakening. So what have you? What have, what can you tell us about that, Dave? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I've not read any of the books. I've been yeah. reading the, the short stories they have, uh, which they put up every now and then, which kind of give you that nice little snapshot of the people of the Imperium and how it's affecting them, rather than with the books where you're getting the overarching, the big battles. Uh, the latest one is to do with Blood Angels and Tyranids and what's going on in Baal. Yeah, yeah, don't know much about that, but the individual stories that they put on the Warhammer community stuff. Um, if you're looking, if you're especially looking for kind of psychic awakening role play scenarios and how you can kind of get deeper into the 40k universe the, and how the people are dealing with it, it's they're brilliant. Like there was one today where two children uh, um, are scared because they've had a psychic awakening. They're two, they're brother and sister. They don't know what to do when they're being saved, shall we say? Yeah. Um, so you're seeing like little snippets of life in the Imperium and how the Great Rift is slowly affecting the the general populace rather than your big armies, which is quite nice to see. There was a really good one a few like last week or the week before, which was to do with a Imperial Guardsman having uh, dreams. Um, to do with the Tyranids getting closer and the fact that they that his nightmares were essentially physically manifesting. Yeah. Uh, and it's really harsh, that story. Uh, the way yeah, I... Yeah, the faint-hearted some of these stories. Yeah. Uh, so that's really, really good. That's um, cool stuff coming out for 40k. Uh, then... Slaves to Darkness is the other thing I was thinking of. Slaves to Darkness is yeah. the big release for Warhammer. So we've got like a new start collecting box for that. Um, we've got the Azurite Knights. Yep, you've got the Azurite uh, terrain kit that comes out, uh, which is basically the terrain, the terrain from uh, Warcry core game. Now, as terrain, you can buy. So, it'd be nice to buy some more of that at some point. Yeah, all the war bands from Warcry are now available. As um... no, no, they're not all available. This is one thing a lot of people are forgetting. 
There's one more Warband that has not been released from the Oh, core. yeah. No, I was saying the ones that are from the core game are now available as a double pack. So, well, yeah, all of the ones which have been released so far, you can buy as a double pack. Yeah, so basically you get double the amount of miniatures, uh, but you don't get the cards because obviously no. they're packing them for Age of Sigmar, not Warcry. Yeah, uh, there, there are rules for them in Slaves to Darkness now as kind of usable. Yeah. So I think I've basically got a thousand. I think it wouldn't be wouldn't be too difficult for me because I've got Chimera and I've got one, two, three Warbands uh, from Warcry and I've got the Furies and the Rapturix. Uh I don't think it would take much for me to go along and have a, a Slaves of Slaves to Darkness army. So then I would actually have three 1,000 point Age of Sigma armies, which is kind of cool. Um, really then, build a quick army with Age yeah. of Sigma nowadays. And the Age of Sigma um, cast, the new Chaos Warriors look really great because I remember the very original multi-part plastic Chaos Warriors, the hunched ones that never fucking ranked up. Um, yeah. Multi-part? Come on, we were before that. We were the One Piece. Oh, yeah, there was those as well. Um, so that is, I think that's all the big releases um, to talk about. I'm just seeing yep. if there was anything else of interest. Well, there's sisters. Oh, of course, Sisters of Battle are out. Finally, Plastic Sisters. Totally yeah. sold out everywhere. Um, yeah. yeah. They're fantastic models, but we're going to have to wait a bit until they're properly like stocked because, again, they'll be great for uh, great for Wrath and Glory. Yeah. Nice bit of kit bashing in some of those. Some of the Ink 28 crew I've seen have already done some beautiful work with it, so I'll certainly get involved in that at some point. Yeah. Okay, with all that done, I think we can move to the main topic, which is dealing with cults of faith in the empires. Okay, so Warhammer Fantasy, what can we say? So um, the empire has a temple, uh, a, a cult to their god king sigma who is basically a human who uh you know united the 12 tribes of mankind uh in the old world and he united them to fight against their you know the oppressing orcs uh and also other uh evils such as undead and chaos and in effect got you know became emperor of this new uh empire of humans and then eventually, of course, he does die, or he disappears, more, to be more correct, and is expected to return to the world when he is when he is needed most by mankind. But of course, he didn't just disappear; he got elevated to godhood uh, by even his own god, because Sigmar was actually devoted to a different god of Hugh, of mankind called the cult of uh, called Ulrich. So Ulrich's this kind of wolf warrior god. Um, but Sigmar was devoted to him, but then became a god himself. So we've got a kind of uh, messiah kind of figure because Sigmar, Sigmar's birth uh, was heralded by a twin-tailed comet. And, you know, he is he's venerated as a god that's disappeared and will come back when he's needed, like, you know, for the end times. But so I guess the way to describe to get an idea of how to maybe approach thinking about the cult of Sigmar in Warhammer, 
is it's sort of taking Catholicism because there's obviously elements the of Catholicism in there. Whistles and yeah, so you know, with prayers and holy books and scripture and incense and big uh, churches and cathedrals and paying yeah. your tithes and so forth. But then also you can look at it from the the idea of Mithraism, which is also a uh, 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 a mythological figure which has much in common with uh with with uh, jesus in our in our real world you know religions so uh, but the point about mithras was he's more of a martial kind of god so he had a immaculate birth he is he fought against the darkness like against araman as it is in a uh, persian and uh in, uh in middle eastern mythology and he was more of a military god because the um, the Romans obviously had their version of Mithras as well, and that's why we have things like Mithraeans, uh, which you know where they sacrifice bulls to bless people. So the point I think I'm making is that we can to get an idea of how possibly to present uh, the the way this cult operates, how it looks, how it feels, is to look to cults and religious groups within our own real world. Yeah. Is that a good yeah. way to start then? I, I, yeah, it's it's kind of there are if you look into it the um, it as an overarching imagery you think you can think of the like the Catholic imagery, grand images and all that, but when you kind of get down down into it, it does become very very cultish and very very similar to some of the the older religions where they do venerate the the warrior gods. Um, whether that's the Nordic or the the Persians or um, the Romans, you will see a lot of similarities in the way that some of those cults would have behaved. So yeah, it's a really it's a nice easy way to kind of start thinking about it. I mean, it's no surprise because obviously uh, the Warhammer world is a pseudo Renaissance uh, setting, or at least for the Empire anyway. Okay. So what are the main, let's see, what else can we say about the cult of Sigmar then? Um, obviously there are priests and they are led by the Grand Theogenist and the priests are have, you know, some fairly simple um, things, you know, rites and, and uh, actions that they must follow to follow the path of Sigmar. So there, there are typical kind of, in some respects, you could say paladin, as in they, they are dedicated to fighting evil in any form it takes, be that chaos or undead, and also orcs they see as their, their I guess, their holy crusade is to eliminate orcs. That's, that's, that's kind of one of the key things, though. They, they are fighting these things. It's not just uh, prayer and... Sac uh, sacraments and rites and things, they are actually warrior priests as well, so yes. they're not, as you say, paladins, they are out there they're out there on the front line as well as in the churches and, and speaking to the villagers, so um, Yeah, I think there's quite a scale there's there's quite a tunable scale and I think that's quite obvious in Warhammer Fantasy RPG in the way that you can play at least uh, a Cult of Sigmar priest, you could be a warrior priest, you know, holy with a blessed hammer and leading at the front lines of an army uh acting kind of like a chaplain or you can be a flagellant who is dedicated to sigmar in all ways and has 
forsworn earthly possessions, or he can just be a regular priest who goes about blessing people in much the same way as a, a regular local priest would do things. A bit like a traveling monk. Yes. Um, so how do we how does someone become a member of the cult of Sigmar then? Like if they go, I want to join the cult of Sigmar, what's the typical way forward? Well, um again, if you want to kind of relate it to things that might we would kind of um look at, um I would relate it to kind of how you'd join a monastery in a way. So you you'd you'd walk up you'd go to a church um and you'd become an initiate where um unfortunately you get shaved um so all your wonderful locks of hair get taken off and then you have to go through various forms of uh servitude in a way to strengthen all aspects of your mind and body performing menial jobs and going out and learning rituals and helping the poor going through contemplations learning your histories and laws um, and even learning the law of the dwarves. Um, mm. It's one of the one of the tenets of um, the cult of Sigmar is to um, actually help the dwarves, as they were great friends of Sigmar during his uh, his combats against the evil. I guess uh, that's something quite tribes. Interesting about the cult of Sigmar then is that they, while you know, obviously they have some rivalry with other. Um, gods that still exist in the old mm. world that are venerated at particular times. They're, they're, they're more I guess you could say they're relegated to the kind of uh, like aim, to the role of kind of that we consider maybe of like angels or um, yeah. or kind of the fae almost because like a lot of fairies are actually old Celtic gods. Um, but I guess the cult of Sigmar um, has a more respectful attitude towards the gods that the dwarves respect. Yeah, the dwarves also are not um, forbidden from following the cult of Sigmar as well. So there's a back and forth between those two societies and their gods. That they that there's this you know there's this definite acknowledgement uh, and respect. Yeah, Sigmar was was seen as a friend of. Um, I won't say Grimnar and Grungi, and I know they're the AOS gods. Yeah, but I think they're mostly the same, actually. Yeah. Um, I know he was he's seen as a friend of them. Um, so, so the thing is, if you were to play one of these uh, priests, one of um, you know, you're going to be there are certain things you would your your priest would know that he would they'd be quite well trained in. They'd be able to read and write, or at yep. least definitely able to read. They'd definitely be able to read. Um, and they're they definitely a, a lot of kind of outspoken ability. So um, your ability to persuade and to sway crowds and oratory kind of skills yeah. as well. Uh, you'd also be capable of, I guess, quite hardy because you'd be trained to do so many menial jobs. You'd be strengthened in body and mm. mind, especially yeah. mind, because you don't want to be corrupted so easily by the ruinous powers. Yep. Um, depending on which way, obviously, you want to take it. If you're going to go down the route of the more priestly style, then obviously you've got the oratory style. But if you are going down the more kind of paladin style, then you would obviously be trained in the martial powers. Mm -hmm. 
so that you've got that side of it. There'd be, again, depending on which way you want to take it, it depends on how they look and how they'll dress. Um, obviously, if you're going down the more martial martial route, you'll be you are actually allowed to wear armor, um, yes. which is not something generally people associate with a priest. Um, you say they they carry hammers, um, so. But then also you do have in the Warhammer world, you know, Knights of the Temple. So these are yes. your Knights Templar, your Teutonic Knights of uh, classic Renaissance um, history. Uh, and not all priests look the same. Uh, there are different orders. So, for example, the Order of the Silver Hammer has very black robes with yellow trim, while the Order of the Torch has simple grey or, you know, very light brown robes. But depending upon which parts of the, world, um, of the old world, different orders may even have green or um, orange robes, depending. So there's also a lot of variation. And that, again, is similar when you consider that, uh, you know, churches and faiths in our world are not just one monolithic organization. And, you know, it's like comparing, say, Catholicism with Eastern Orthodox, with Protestants, with, you know, with so many different flavors of different forms of Christianity, at least. Uh, and then that brings us on to, like, their holy symbols. So there are some classics in there. So the griffin is a holy symbol. Now, that's not a holy symbol of Sigma. It's actually a holy symbol of Magnus the Pious. Yes. But Magnus the Pious was a badass. Oh god, yes, he was such such a massive. He kind of created the modern form of the empire in a way. Yeah, um, and formed it into what it is that now. Uh, my name names are slipping my entire head. Um, well, it's between him and Teclas they form the uh, yeah. the orders of magic in in yeah. uh, an outdoor. Uh, he obviously rode. To battle uh, with um, to save Kislev from the invading hordes. Obviously, Prague got completely screwed and had to be leveled. He obviously, after he did all this, leveled Mordheim. Poor old Mordheim. Uh, it had to go. Um, but yeah, what other holy symbols have we got then that are classics of Sigmar? We've got hammers, obviously. Um, yep, from uh, Gaal Moraz, Sigma's Hope, um, which we'll talk about more later in Age of Sigma, as it's quite important there. Yeah, and we've already spoken of the Twin-Tailed Comet, mm -hmm. and yep. also crosses, so kind of Teutonic crosses. Um, so yeah, if you're playing a priest, there's quite a particular way to bless people. So the cla the, the one I really like is um, is... The v, making the V sign with your index and middle finger, your hand of the other fingers and thumb of your hand are closed, and either you have your arm outstretched, showing that symbol as a kind of a salute, and your left hand on your heart, or if you're trying to see evil, like unveil it, mm. you'll hold the twin, the two fingers splayed to your eye. And the hat in the, your your closed palm facing outwards. There's a really nice image of that somewhere when we when yeah. I was looking. I can't remember where it was. It's a really really nice image of a man holding his hand up doing the sign. Um, if you're having trouble imagining it, 
uh, please don't make this ruin it for you, but imagine Japanese people taking a photograph. Yeah, it's kind of like, like that. Yeah. Konnichiwa. Uh, Sigma yeah. is uh, Sigma is totally a fan of the Pokemon and the Hello Kitty. Um, but yeah, it's that. It's that. So for those of people who are having trouble difficulty with it, it's that sign or the Victory V sign um, that it kind of looks like. Um, but there's this really, really nice symbol uh, imagery. I think it's probably from Warhammer Fantasy Third Edition. Yeah. Uh, playbook where you've got an uh a peasant doing the symbol and he's staring through his eye uh through through his fingers at something um looking a little bit angry and scared yeah okay so what's the other holy symbol we the other one do? you've got is um the the big one is the this the hammer symbol um, so imagine kind of doing your cross symbol but you go from your forehead to your sternum so you're not going that low and then from right to left across your chest, creating the hammer symbol. Um, and that's quite a common, quick blessing. Um, if so if you're going up to a a, um, a sacred site or there's a um, totem on the road that you want to offer a quick blessing to, you'd walk up and you'd do a quick um, hammer across the chest and offer your blessings. I'm not too sure whether this, an, this is another valid one, but I quite like it because of, um, uh, I think it has, it, it, it physically feels good, is the other way to make a hammer symbol is where you bring your your arms together and your fists together. So um, the sides of your hands. So imagine if you've put your hands, uh, your elbows together in front of you, mm. your wrists together in front of you, yeah. So your hands open. Now close your hands and then bring that all up to your chest. That looks like a hammer if you were looking at it. I think I know what you mean. I've now, I've now got um, friends in my head, unfortunately. Yeah, it's kind of like that. But if you do, if you bring that together. Yeah, I know, I know, I know what of, you mean. But it's just as soon as you. It has also a kind of a defensive feel to it because it's almost like you're blessing yourself and protecting yourself. Kind of putting a shield up in front of you. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's possibly another way of representing a uh, making the holy symbol. Okay, so moving on. Um, obviously, there's tons of rituals uh, that the Cult of Sigma knows to do blessings, because you can, in the game, bless weapons to make them harm infernal or undead creatures. Uh, so and... Blessings and prayers that you can uh, use as kind of minor magic as well. Um, yes. And then what else is important? We've already talked about the strictures, which are like obey orders, a dwarf folk. Um, the cult of Sigmar then is also quite uh, devoted to the Empire and doing acts of, I guess, charity to build things. Yeah. Um, they go around and because obviously they have a lot of power in the Empire, um, the Empire is the home of Sigmar. They... Um, they do go out and, and um, spread the word and help the poor in a in a way, um, but they do also ask ask for their tithes. Mm. But as you do travel around the um, the empire, you do know you will notice that most households will have a uh, shrine to Sigmar, um, and that e- even the lowliest people will recognise the symbol of Sigmar and will will follow him and worship him in some way. It is within the empire is very, very prevalent. Um, yeah. Even at, even at the lowest kind of levels, 
And even if it's just a kind of every now and then they'll do a blessing, it is a massive part of their life. And then uh, also, I guess, an important group within the uh, Cult of Sigma is Witch Hunters and Inquisitors. Yes. So that's exactly as it sounds. They are hunting down heretical witches because Sigma is not a fan of magic, even though if Magnus the Pious accepted yeah. that magic could be um, useful done in proper ways, was yeah. considered. College uh, of Magic. Yeah, was considered sanctioned. Yeah. And Inquisitors as well would be also hunting down those corrupt cultists that hide in the shadows. Also, uh, yeah, go on. Uh, also, they, as, as Inquisitors sound, they do hunt within the Empire themselves. They're the ones who are truly to be scared of. They will look in all parts of the Empire and all the way from the top to the very bottom. Yeah. Okay, and then uh, things to keep in mind when you are playing one of these characters is that obviously the, the main, the location of the, the, the primary Temple of Sigma is an outdoor. As we said, there's a Grand Theogenist who in contemporary Warhammer is Volkmar the Grim, who has a very interesting tale as you go through the end times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a major festival which is called Sigma Targ or Sigma Tide. And yep. there are some holy books called the Book of Sigma, the Dea Sigma, the Geistbuch. I don't know what yeah. that one is. No, that, must, that must refer to his time fighting Nagash and his minions. I would guess so. Mm. And then there's the Testaments of Sigma. So, again, some of these books will be larger or smaller than others because, again, the cultists all carry these books on them chained as a as a representation of of the weight of the world that they carry with them, or they even have very small uh, versions uh, kind of tied to their foreheads. Yep. Uh, so, so playing a so playing playing a priest of Sigma then, uh, Dave, is you're going to be pious. You're going to be, I guess, generally not focused on wealthy. On, on wealth and material possessions? No, nope. you'll be very strong-willed. Yeah. Um, you'll have that, the the kind of the strength and the... Your strength comes from your piety so and your faith. So it's not just a physical strength, it's a mental fortitude in the way that you'll, you'll play that character. You've got to have kind of strength in your faith and trust in your faith. Um, that um, that Sigma protects, yeah, and that what you are doing is righteous. And I guess the important thing is to work out um, how you, if you really want to get to the root of of the importance of the cult Sigma, is, is figuring out um, how you represent the influence of the cult of Sigma in day to day life of uh, of a town, a village, of of the general population. Of yeah. the empire, so they will. There will be mass on a particular day. There will be minor um, calls to prayer, possibly in the morning before people mm. go off to work. Um, there will be the different areas as well. Then they'll have their own kind of little individual ways that they'll do it. So you'll have to kind of traveling monks travel around and know the 
the the ways of the the little towns is everybody will have slightly different ways of doing things so you'll become quite worldly aware and become aware of how the people are in a way um i know what i'm saying in my head i'm just yeah i'm just trying to think what what else is you can really reinforce into into the game setting um yeah, you just really need to get across that the, these people playing a priest uh, as a player or as a GM are very outspoken and yeah. um, strong-willed and really, really believe in what they're saying. Um, then they're not timid. No. Well, um, so they they can even become without if you if you're playing it, you the character could become overbearing. Um, so as much as that's probably what they are like and they could be quite strong and characters to be fearful of in the way that they talk to people they behave in against npcs and things obviously tone that into the group that you're playing it with yes yeah Um, you don't want to get that kind of pvp kind of feel yeah where the priest is always saying you're you're not being like burn the heretic holy enough not being devout enough um, you know that's that's something which is kind of cool to explore, but you know it can be a hindrance to the way the game works. And I'm sure maybe consider the fact that your priest may overlook that because he he realizes that that other characters, while not devout in attending church on a regular basis, they're devout in other ways because yeah. they go out in the world and do things and maybe actions. Speak yeah. for them. They're much going like, out and trying to help the empire, and therefore yeah. help Sigma. Much like how Sigma didn't just sit in a temple; he went out yeah. and did stuff. So I think that's the way to approach it. Where you know how to play a priest who isn't just telling all the other players off. Um, as, as funny as that could be at times. Right. It, it's funny in the right situation. And if we'd have had the if we'd have had the podcast for Wrath and Glory recorded properly. There yeah, yeah, yeah. There, but obviously, so I'm... have we covered everything there for now? I, I think... think that was most of it. We could yeah. have gone on for so much longer. There's oh, obviously, yeah. So we said about the holy symbols. Yeah, okay. I think we covered everything. So let's talk about Age of Sigma and the cult of Sigma in that world because it's quite a different beast. In a way, it isn't. In a way, it isn't. The issue we've got with Age of Sigma is Soulbound is not out yet uh, next year. Yay. Really happy about that. But yeah, so Soulbound is not out yet. And the Age of Sigma setting is only really now, since the release of second edition, we're really starting to see the detail in the universe that they're creating. So we don't really have that much information about the modern, uh, the cult of Sigma. Um, but what we can glean is from the kind of story of Sigma and how he found the realms and then what happened after that. And then we kind of get little glimmers here and there in some of the little stories and stuff, but there's nothing really set down. So, um, hmm. I think, I think in some respects, the Sigma of Age of Sigma is a god that's in some respects more present, even yeah. if it's not present all the time. You know, he is. He's more human in a way as well. 
Yeah, and he can he can he walk, makes mistakes. He can walk the realms. Yeah, um, he he lives in in Azir. He lives in the realm of light. Yeah. Um, so he is a he's and a living do, warrior god. Yeah. We do have cities of Sigma, which is basically all the mortal realm cities of yep. free people. So that's humans, dwarves, and elves, um, who are all who all consider Sigma to be, I guess. Uh, you know, a god that protects them because they're protected yeah. by his Stormcast Eternal. But that's that's how do we get to Stormcast Eternal? So, so Sigma, yeah, Sigma. Okay, so in end, the, end, uh, so end times. The, 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 the old times. Yeah, so we'll go straight from the old the end times, kind of tie everything together. So, Age of Sigma is not a completely new universe; it is connected to the end times. Um, in Age of Sigma, the um, the old old world is called the world that was. So um, end times, the world was destroyed. It becomes the world that was. And Sigmar ends up floating in this massive void of nothingness. And he's saved by Draco Dracothian, the great, the father of the Star Drakes. Um, and he brings him to the realms, and the eight realms, and he shows him around the realms. Um, and Sigmar goes, oh, Azir, that looks like a nice one. I'll, I'll, I'll set up base there. Um, so he sets up um, his base in Azir, and over the what is known as the Age of Myth, he travels around. He finds a lot of the other gods. So he actually finds Nagash buried under a mountain. He mm. finds Grimnir and Grungi as well, um, and he has these mass fights. Um, him and Grimnir go off and kill the mother of Salamanders together. Unfortunately, that does end up in Grimnir being nearly destroyed. Um, he goes out and fights Gorka Walker, the new Auric god, um, and beats him, which is kind of cool. Um, and so we have this massive period of time called the Age of Myth, where he's going around, he's exploring the realms, humanity's still there, um, and all the old races are, are there, but they're very, very tribal and, and very young. Um, and it's all a bit legendy. Um, then we come into the Age of Chaos, um, and Archaon returns into the New World. Um, and during this Age of Chaos, um, legions of Chaos Warriors and Demons invade all of the realms. Um, and during something called the Battle of the Burning Skies, Sigmar spends eight, eight days, I think, in a fight. and at the last, he loses Gal Moraz, mm. um, his sacred hammer, somewhere. Um, it's interesting. It was... It's interesting because like Archeon is an interesting character within respect of both old world and new world because oh, yeah. Archeon was a um, a warrior priest of yeah. Sigma who felt yep. betrayed by the faith. He had revelation which made him come to realize that it was all a big lie, apparently. Um, but that's another aside. Yeah, yeah. so... Um, and he becomes a big bad, but yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so during during this kind of the Battle of the Burning Stars and the Nexus Wars, uh, Sigmar actually has alliances with a lot of the other gods and other races. So he's actually friend... Well, kind of friends with Nagash. Mm. Uh, but we see in some of the books that no, Nagash was just using him. Um, he befriends... Um, Teclis and Tyrion, who are now gods of the um, elves. 
his friend um he gets help from uh Marathi as well um and Malarian so all these other actual gods and kind of the heroes we saw in the old world have now become greater beings but all these start to break down uh during these nexus wars and the loss of the hammer and a, a defeat that Sigmar suffers he kind of uh has a bit of a hissy fit. It's probably the best way to put it. And he, he shuts himself away in Azir. Um, he closes the gates to Azir and actually blocks the realm off from all the other realms um, and hides himself away, um, abandoning humanity and all the other races that worshipped him. Just literally just going, no, not doing it. Locks himself away. Azir is safe. My realm is safe. Screw the lot of you. Um, and that, that he, he locked himself away for quite a long time and nobody really knows what happened and chaos took over effectively. And then later on, we get into now what we call where he just kind of goes, well, what I have been doing though is while you've been having all these fights, I've taken all the souls of all these wonderful warriors who've died and reforged them into these shining gold people who just come down in lightning and beat the crap out of everybody. Um, called Stormcast. And so he then opens up the gates of Azir, his legions pour out lightning strikes, and he becomes a god, kind of almost a god of thunder in a way, god of thunder and lightning. And his retribution is released onto the realms, and they start to fight and push chaos back. And this is where we end up in the Age of Sigmar. So and this is where things start to get a bit iffy with that because we still have people who worship Sigmar, but they're a bit annoyed at yeah, Sigmar. Because Sigmar is a, is, is a present god who yeah. abandoned people to make his Stormcast eternal, who are another thing to describe on another day. Yeah. Um, but then comes back with these armies. And yes, you know, some people will be grateful that he is a saviour god once, and, once again with some holy warriors. But also... He abandoned them. Resentful of the fact that he abandoned them. So it's an interesting relationship that he has with the free peoples and yep. uh, the, so the dwarves, elves, and, uh, and humans. Uh, you know, in, in other respects, I guess the cult of Sigma is much in a similar way, just everything's a much grander scale because Age yes. of Sigma operates on such a crazy um scale compared to warhammer fantasy mm -hmm. uh you do get physical manifestations of sigmar in certain ways because you get the yep. is it the celestant the celestant prime yeah who basically um, is a stormcast eternal that's been gifted galmaraz as a weapon yep. to use so they are a, they are a living weapon of of sigmar mm -hmm. on the battlefield um it's yeah. you know it's it's cool because I mean I do like it as a continuation. I do like the Stormcast Eternal as in again he's kind of forged his own kind of like angels to, for want of a better term. Though there's how really, they are is something we'll get into. Yeah, there, there's there's some really cool yeah. messed up stuff with the Stormcast Eternals, but we'll do that on a on another episode. But they they are weapons of fear, and so the Cult of Sigmar uses the fear especially of some of the the different hosts that are out there against the people as a kind of a you will worship sigma or the cults that the stormcast will come and 
destroy you. So um, the thing is, I, I think for the role play game, obviously you will have as a playable character, you know, uh, Stormcast Eternal, who yep. I guess feel Sigmar within their veins because they are kind of imbued with his power very directly. While the other option of character type that we definitely know is in Soulbound uh, for the RPG is a warrior priest. Yep. Much sim- very similar, I guess, then to the warrior priest that we know from Warhammer Fantasy RPG. But I yeah, guess with, the... with the Cities of Sigmar book, yeah, we are seeing some of that crossover come in. Um, though weirdly, the prevalence of witch hunters and things is a bit less, yeah, and they're not as much as what we thought they would be. But, um, and I was going to say that the thing is that's mostly different for a warrior priest in Age of Sigmar is that their rituals, their rites, their prayers are possibly more empowered. Yeah, they'll be more they're, they're they're more magical and they'd be more realm specific as well. So if you're from the realm of life, you would have probably more your your spells and your your prayers would be based more around trees and growth and new life. Whereas maybe if you're from Ulgu, the realm of shadows, you're probably looking at more kind of stealthy spells um and striking from the shadows yeah i mean, I mean it'd be it, interesting. there's a nice way to theme things there with it the interesting thing is actually going back to the realm of beasts um is that a priest of sigmar performing rituals may even have echoes of the god ulric because yep. of course that's an element behind the history of of sigmar of course, yep. Ulric is dead because he gets killed in the old world during the end times, doesn't he? Uh, I think he so. I think he gets obliterated. Um, so, Sad. but the main thing is that we can't really say too much more because obviously this world is still developing and Soulbound will show us more. But I think the key in, the key thing is that there are similar elements from Warhammer Fantasy. It's just that yeah. the world is on a grander scale and your prayers are more real. Thematic. They have and, and they actually have power because Sigmar is there. He's not yeah. a distant god. Um, he doesn't distrust magic as much now. Yeah. Um, so. Cool. Okay. So 40k, Warhammer 40,000. Oh my god, we've got a lot to rattle through here. So um, I am going to go for it because I wrote these notes up today. So I'm going to go for it, and then we'll get to the conclusions. Right, here we go. So it's the year 30,000. The Emperor unifies uh, all the techno-barbarian cults of Earth. He then goes on a Grand Crusade, uh, obviously unifying unifying with the Adeptus Mechanicus of Mars, etc., etc. So the Emperor, though, at his core, he is, is is a powerful psychic being, on the verge of godhood, in the term, if, as we know, as we understand when we compare to the ruinous powers. But the emperor does not believe himself to be a god. He is just an enlightened, empowered human. And he knows that all humans are destined to be as him. Okay? So he is above the idea of superstition. He doesn't want humans, mankind, to be servants at the mercy of the Xeno, the tyrant, uh, tyrants and heretics, uh, and creatures of the war. Cool. He is a he was a man of science. Yeah, and that's what he he wanted to make humanity. And he made he made 
angels in a sense because he created space marines and also before them mm. their forerunners the adeptus custodes and the uh the thunder warriors the, when, I, when we say angels is because space marines are perfect v- versions of humans but in the way that angels cannot do not have you know um the anatomy to be breeding humans because they are perfect immaculate beings in the same way the emperor makes space rings so they are immaculate you know they are castrated they're beyond the ideas of sex and lust and greed they are servants of mankind but they are superhuman humans and they do not they also do not believe that the emperor is god no they really don't however that's where (laughs) things get a bit shit so during the grand during the great crusade uh, the Primarch of the Word Bearers, uh, what's his name? Uh, I forgot his name. It's Lorgar. Hmm? It's Lorgar. It's yeah, Lorgar. Right. Yeah. I want to say Thorin, but that's right. They come from a world which was already very religious, and so they start treating the Emperor as a god, and or at least making people believe that the Emperor is a god. They create, they decimate worlds, they create grand cathedrals, they come up with their own cult. Uh, with a book called the Letitio Divinitatis and an underground cult. Obviously, the Emperor's pissed about this. This is completely anathema to his teachings. And as a result, this is the seed of chaos for uh, at least the... They're all starts. Because Lorgar feels spurned by the Emperor. And in return, they go, well, if you're not going to accept our prayers there some other people will and that's who they turn to and that's what precipitates the horus heresy and so the first people that turn to chaos are actually the word bearers horus is unfortunately um a victim in all of this uh you can almost see that he's a victim in all of this he's a victim to uh fate as it were We'll get into that in another lesson, in another episode, though. So that's I think. one. That's one cult. Another early cult is called the Lightbearers. They follow the teachings of a guy called Euphrates Keeler and Kira Sindaban, who, who, however, this cult also felt chaos because they were ultimately destroyed. Basically, they, they, they were on terror. They, as it was being invaded by all the various chapters, uh, chapters by legions that turned to chaos at that point. Um, they held up in the Imperial Palace. They got desperate. They got duped, and they summoned a freaking uh, demon prince, uh, a Nurgle demon prince. So that was them done for. So that's another Imperial cult that did exist uh, that believed the Emperor was divine. So then the Emperor, of course, takes a mortal wound from Horus, as in, mm. and is installed on the Golden Throne with this stasis field and various other things to keep him alive. And of course, now he is a corpse god. He is literally a corpse on a throne with psychic potential. How we get into the ideas of whether the Emperor is dead or not, or whether his essence is free, is uh, a lesson for another day when we delve into Inquisitor. But the point is, is that the Emperor is there, and what springs up throughout the Imperium after the Horus Heresy are various cults that believe the Emperor is divine. And some of these, they're warring between each other. The the Imperium is a large area, and one of these is the Temple of the Saviour Emperor. And they eventually become so powerful that they become the state religion. They even form their own army uh, called, I can't remember, it's kind of like a militia of religious nutjobs. 
And then this temple forms what's called the ecclesiarchy, as we know in, in uh, the Imperium. Um, and they become an arm of the Imperium. So you've got things like the Adeptus uh, Administorum, which is all about money and how the Imperium operates. The ecclesiarchy is the religious arm of the Imperium, uh, which is important because because the thing is, the the faith of faith within the emperor is a very useful tool for keeping so many worlds in check when they could fall to chaos. And of course, the belief in the emperor, who is now a god, uh, is useful in protecting yourself from the ruinous powers. So you know, making the, the, the symbol of the Aquila. So to do the symbol Aquila, what you do is you splay your fingers out on, on your hands, you lock your thumbs together, so it makes a double-headed eagle symbol across your chest. There are also mostly other symbols you can form which are representative of the emperor. Uh, what else can we say? So the, yeah, the problem, though, with the ecclesiarchy is it's basically like Catholicism in that it is very pompous, very... very uh, grand and opulent they make gaudy temples Ooh, do i have a feeling of the old cult of the word bearers there i think i do so there was there was an eventual um well there was a first attempt at an uprising uh, against the ecclesiarchy in m32 by something known as the confederation of light who rejected the ideas of wealth and power and all these tithes they were more a pauper cult uh and that led to what's known as called the First War of Faith. Then in M36, the believed confeder Confederation of Light, believed to be destroyed, is resurgent, led by Sebastian Thor, and they eventually defeat uh, Gog Vandir. Now, Vandir is a dick of epic proportions because he was head of the Adeptus Administratum. So he's in charge of wealth and power through through the normal operations of the of of the of the Imperium. But then he takes charge also of the church. So he's kind of like Oliver Cromwell in that sense. Pretty much. What a dick. But more but more, more, more of a dick. Like, anyway, he went around um, killing a lot of people as well. One of the groups that Vandier, another cult that Vandier comes across at that time, is a group of women venerating uh, the emperor, and these are the precursors to the uh, Sisters of Battle, the Adeptus uh, Sororitas. I want to get that right. Um, so anyway, Vandier is defeated, and the ecclesiarchy is reformed. The old ways of the temple are now heresy, uh, and mm -hmm. you know you do come across heretical cults who still revere the emperor but in their own way and this is very much you know modeled after like i would say you know in england our reformation from yeah. catholicism to uh lutherism and protestantism uh so that's kind of the history in a nutshell the imperium is vast there's lots of cults there are numerous as david you've written in the notes shrine worlds Yep, which are dedicated, literally worlds covered in freaking cathedrals, uh, well, dedicated saints, to saints. Maybe. Yep, um, we've got cemetery worlds, which when you've got a world that's a universe constant at war, they are burying the dead in their billions every day. 
uh, cardinal worlds. They're just generally they're regular. ecclesiarchal worlds. They're worlds owned by the ecclesiarchy. Yeah, so they're they're regular imperial worlds. When I say regular, they operate as a world that has an industry uh, and it has a population. It's not a hive world, but it's operated by and looked after by the it's kind of halfway between the hive world and the shrine world. Yeah. It's Maybe less polluted. Yeah. Um, and yeah, at the heart of this, we have the ecclesiarchy. Obviously, you've also got the Inquisition that are related to them. The Inquisition uh, being formed not as part of the ecclesiarchy. They were formed by, um, is it Malachar the, oh God, the Illuminated? Something like that. So was, basically, um... there's a, there's another group, which is a, is a story for another time that look after the old relics of old earth, like, you know, paintings of Van Gogh and old texts throughout the 30,000 years or more. And they form the Inquisition. The main role of the Inquisition is to hunt out heretics, uh, dissidents, uh, demons and witches and the influence of the aliens. So Xenos. As yeah. well as picking up psychers and their black ships, mm. because what do we do with the emperor? What do we need to feed him, David? Psychers. Well, they 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 get fed to the emperor. Um, ten ten thousand psychers a day to keep the emperor alive. And the astronomicon going. Yeah. Keep, um, him, keep it. Keep that beacon alive, so ships can travel throughout the Imperium. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is, uh, some psychers will undergo what's called the um, it's called soul bonding with the emperor. So they yep. gain a, almost a, a fragment, a very small fragment of his power. They go blind, uh, but they become astropaths in the uh, as a result of the process. So, how do we do, use all this in the game? Oh my god! Um, <laughs> hmm. There's a lot. I think the first thing is that. Every world will have shrines and cathedrals, some more than others, to the emperor. So the emperor is this holy being. Uh, space marines are literally walking um, angels. Uh, they are his holiness. Yeah, they are manifestations of his holiness. Even though if the space marines don't believe that themselves, because you know that's not part of their their doctrines. Mm. Uh, within the Astra Militarum, you have the commissars who pretty much go about enforcing uh, both the, the, that people submit to the, belief, the, the teachings of the uh, Adeptus minist the, uh, Ministratum. Um, ministorum, sorry, not Ministratum, Ministorum. Uh, and you'll also have priests within, you know, chaplains within the Astra Militarum. Uh, let's think. What else can we say that how will influence like so as a as a priest? You know, you may well believe in the emperor, and you may believe the teachings, which will be in various holy books. But again, the imperium is very big. So for some people, they don't they they believe it's all just superstitious claptrap, but they mm. give it lip service. It's only the people who are really on the front lines that believe the emperor is truly real because they see for their own eyes his enemies yep it's also they, they it's as a priest you'll also notice that nine well most of the imperium most of the hum, humanity side of the imperium follows the teachings of 
the ecclesiarchy they, they they believe in the emperor some way shape or form um whether that's a small statue in a cave somewhere to your full grown kilometer high temples that you get on shrine worlds it is inherently prevalent within the 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 galaxy that the faith is everywhere it's just it's at different levels of that faith um, and depending on you as a priest as to maybe what world you came from, depends on how heretical you might find some of those beliefs. Yeah. Um, and, and a good example of that is Necromunda, because, um, you know, in the Underhive or in the Lower Hive, gangers really, you know, they know of the Emperor. They, they know of it as a teaching. Yeah. But they, again, it's something they, they, they barely give lip service to. Some maybe more than others. Yeah, um, but they're aware of it. They're aware of it as something which they have to acknowledge just mm. so they don't get, you know, chastised in front of a priest or taken to a to a re-education cell by by the by the enforcers. But of course then they've got an example of a local cult is within House Cordor. So yep. House Cordor has the cult of redemption within its heart, which is this in some respects, heretical cult of the emperor, who's very much devoted to purging the heretic, burning people. Yeah, basically. Um, so I think the important thing to say is that with um, with forty k is that in depicting the the setting, uh, the faith of the imperial cult, there can be lots and lots of local variations. They're not all heretical. And they're accepted so long as they cleave to a certain amount to the prescribed texts and rites and beliefs. But of course, because of the size of the Imperium, it's also quite easy for cults to um, slowly diverge. Yeah. So there's, there was a, a beautiful um, psychic awakening story. Well, I wouldn't say beautiful, <laughs> but a, a really nice example of being led astray hmm. where they, there was a a way station that was suddenly being overrun by refugees trying to escape the citrix benedictum and they ended up with two cults two religious cults um who are who are prof, uh, spreading the teachings of the emperor um and they end up in this kind of war religious cult war and as you kind of go through the story and then you get to the end, you suddenly realize, actually, hang on, that's not the emperor, that's corn. Hmm. But you don't, you see this slow kind of, oh no, we do praise the emperor and we praise the emperor and oh no, yes, I, I, I fully understand where they're coming from and kill our enemies and take their heads and give it to the god emperor on his throne. Oh dear. And you're just like, oh, oh, well that was easy and a bit, oh, it all went wrong. Yeah. Um, so it can happen. So as a priest, if you're playing uh, a ministerium priest or an ecclesiarchy priest, you kind of have to be aware that it is easy for things to go wrong in a way. And, yeah. and that, that slight twisting of it. And corruption and dilution yeah. of, of, of the faith. Yeah. Um, it's everything to the extreme in a way. Take it all to the extreme. 
the great thing is to get character into your games is also look at things like um, uh, the Imperial Guardsman Primer um, website, that yep. uplifting primer which uh, Games Workshop makes. Um, like It was a book you could buy if you can get hold of it. It's great. Uh, but the main thing is if you go on the website, you'll find little snippets of things to say, which are little sayings which a priest would most definitely say, uh, you know, ignorance is a, a is a fortress for the mind things yeah. like that uh obviously you know there's a there's an attitude towards technology that the that the, the imperial cult has there's an attitude towards psychers that they have these are all things that a ministorum character can to a larger or lesser extent kind of portray because of how they've been taught and they may well have been taught all this stuff and yet have no belief in in chaos. Like they've never encountered demons. So why they just kind of think it's just part of the teachings, just as we you know, don't believe demons exist, because we just taught you know, people just taught this is Christianity, this is the flavor of Christianity that you've you you've been indoctrinated into. But do you believe demons are real? Oh, but in 40k, the moment you're on the front lines, they fucking turn up. Yeah, you, then you start believing. And then you yeah. start believing in the emperor, um, and that's another good reason to look at books like *The Wicked and the, the Damned*. Yep, it's a really fantastic uh, book from Black Library. Uh, *Eisenhorn* trilogy is pretty top-notch for getting your head into how some characters break with regard to the religion, especially yeah, the main how you can see that twist of an idea going from "I can't do this" to actually. I need the the help from this thing, and then it all kind of is it heretical with the demon host and stuff, and you kind of see how ideas can change and how you can develop a character through a story. Yeah, where it, it has that conflict of interest. It's like oh, I believe in the emperor; I need to keep everything safe. Purge the demon. Purge the demon. Oh, there's ah. also um, there's also things like in the dam. There's another there's another one of the stories has like this um, this character uh, this. Uh, Astro Militarum captain, and they're blessing their bullets and blessing with holy, with blessed water their bunk. So there's all these little things. It's all tiny things. And this goes actually back to all of the all of the settings. It's tiny things, tiny little rites and rituals, things that you just mutter to yourself, which reinforces a character's belief in the divine, like you know, chucking salt over your shoulder or. You have to look at certain things great before meals yeah or you know you look at the classic is and this is where actually you look at say slavic i say slavic i mean eastern european christianity and how it's a how it's used in day-to-day life you mm. know there's the classic example of the supercomputers being blessed yeah you know, that's totally adeptus mechanicus but in the same way you get the same thing with with the cult of the emperor uh, yeah, you've got the bullets to 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 fly straight and kill the heretics. Like like apparently, so Zach uh, Zach was telling me this that um the that on Space Marine power armor there's something called an auto there's an auto reliquary. Relili- oh yeah, don't ask me to say Rel- that. Word. Yeah, reliquary, Rel- which yeah. basically allows them to to quickly bless bullets as they're reloading them into the bolt gun. Yep. So it bathes the bullet in holy water or something. Yeah, it, it, that sounds familiar. I've heard that somewhere before, but 
it's so they on on they don't have to sit there and bless their bullets each time they play. So yeah, not play fight. So it's well, um it's, it's it's little things like that, or 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 you know stamping a bullet with with um holy words, yeah. or uh, you know blessing you know other things like I mean it's quite different. Like Eisenhorn uses hex, hexagramic wards on his swords. That's more to do with knowledge of of. Yeah psychic ability and and manipulating the warp uh, but there will be emblems and and sigils of the emperor that you can use to bless an area or a weapon or a, or a, a machine um, as you see on most most kind of models which are part of the imperium you've got purity seal oh yeah so there's little bits of paper and wax that you, which will just have a little prayer on them that will bless the weapons and it'll stay there and keep the, the, the weapon or the vehicle that could be blessed. And you don't have to think about that in the grander scheme of war. That could be a, a um, fungus harvester could have yeah. that on it. So it could work better in, in maybe a damp atmosphere. Oh, uh, oh, we really need in, to we really need to talk about something which is related to blessing. The classic, mm -hmm. this is really important, is on is a corpse starch. Okay. So corpse starch is made from rendering down human bones and flesh into food product. Mm. And this is done on Necromunda and mostly a lot of other hives where they don't have much fresh produce. Now, you're most really thinking, how is that? not cannibalism yeah um, um yeah yeah so the very active, so the this moment. this corpse starch is blessed by a priest of the imperial cult and it is the process of blessing it which is which causes transubstantiation of the of the flesh into corpse starch into the food for the masses okay that is massively yeah. fucked up. <laughs> well, I suppose um, if, if you think about the number of people in in the Imperium, and yes, they do have farm worlds and production worlds where they produce food, but the, the sheer number of people, you'd need to find a food source somewhere, and why why waste? Why, what, you say, first of all, why waste? And then secondly, you go, what happens if they're not actually wasting and instead they're purposely going out killing people to get this, their flesh, their bones, their bone marrow? Uh, okay, there, yeah. there's, a, there's a story you can play. Oh, well, you can play it if you buy Necromunda Dark Uprising. Um, oh, yes, the court. general game stores. Uh, it's really cool. It's really cool. It's really, really cool. Um, you need to read that book. Anyway. I yeah. think we've covered a lot uh, to get a lot of ideas out there. I think we've we've condensed a lot of material for people to think about. They can think about how to get this kind of grand feeling of faith with it into their game, how to inject it as both something characters do, but is also part of the background. Yeah. It's one of those things, it's for for the worlds, it's inherent within all the worlds. It's a massive part of what the worlds are so it's it's really important to kind of understand the complexities of it and kind of get get a gauge for it because in it is the empire is sigma is based on sigma the imperium is based on the god emperor the the faiths are 
massive parts of it. So it's kind of, it's not just a, oh, we need a priest in it. It's like, no, no, you need a priest because it's, this is what the worlds are. They they are important. Um, and they have such a good way to bring them in and story building aspects behind them. So, yeah. Cool. I think yeah. that is Ooh. it. Um, yeah. As always, thank you for taking time to go through all this. If people have got questions uh, and suggestions, they can contact us uh, either by going to our website, www.darker-days.org, where they can find other episodes of Dark Hammer, including episodes of Darker Days Radio. Uh, If you want to listen to some more classic episodes of Darker Days Radio, which have a kind of a Warhammer-y feel, you can look at the episode called A Very Merry Mondestil, which is about Warhammer at kind of a Christmas time um, in the Warhammer world, uh, and things go crazy. Uh, and that we recorded a year ago with the with uh, Craig from Red Moon Roleplay. But anyway, uh, they can all, also people can contact us uh, by email uh, darkerdaysradio at gmail.com. They can find us on Instagram and Twitter at darkerdaysradio and on Facebook. They can also find via our facebook or our blog we have a blog Douglas radio blog's definitely got a link to our discord where again there's conversations about miniatures world of darkness chronicles of darkness warhammer cult whatever horror gaming in general uh and as i say we've got the blog where you know you've been doing the gangs of Kamara write-up uh kind of um gameplay kind of kill team uh, where we've also got reviews of other games. There'll be more reviews of things going up there. Well, and that review, yeah. I think that is all of our social media. Yes. So thank you again, and I think next time we will find a we'll find another topic. I don't I don't know if I'm quite in the mood for talking about religion next time. I think we will try and talk about some type of creature that is common to all the worlds. Maybe we talk about orcs. I don't know. Um, Elves. Dwarves. Stunties. um, Bring them back. Bring them back. Or some other things. Uh, We'll see where we get to. Great. Yep. Cool. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll come back, you know, come back to the podcast and listen to us again then. But for now, goodbye. Goodbye. Happy Christmas and have a good new year. Oh, you're too seasonal. I would never say. Uh, is it? Is have it a good new Christmas? year. Christmas. Or is it, or is happy it Christmas. Or is it happy or, or do we want to be, do we want to be all snowflake and go happy holidays? Cause apparently that's, I don't know. I was going to say happy candle mass. Candlemas. Candlemas is actually a holiday of the Imperial cult, isn't it? That's why I said it. Excellent. Ha- well, well, then we'll end on that note. Candlemas. Happy Candlemas. There we go.